They appreciate it. Uh, turn to Matthew 1. Today is the beginning of the Advent season. Uh, Advent means arrival or coming. So the four Sundays leading up to Christmas are set aside to prepare our hearts and refocus our minds on the coming of Jesus into the world. So my goal is simply to spend four weeks in here uh, showing you some things in the Scriptures that I hope will aid in your worship of Christ this Christmas, maybe something you can talk about at home, or just personal devotion. Um, there's a lot to choose from, and so it's hard to kind of narrow it down, and this one might be a little peculiar, but I think will be beneficial. Uh, Jesus arrives on the scene in the New Testament, so I thought we'd just start at the beginning of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. But the first thing that we see in the New Testament is not the birth of Jesus. That comes at the end of Matthew 1. Uh, Before we get to the birth of Jesus, Matthew tells us about Jesus' genealogy, his family line. And uh, that's where we're going to focus today. So I'm going to read that genealogy in Matthew 1, verses 1 through 16. This is the Word of God. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiod, and Abiod, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, did you get all that? Uh, If you're like me, I'm being honest, normally when I get to these genealogies in Scripture, I don't read them too carefully. Um, but I think I've been missing out. There's something that has been brought to my attention in here that I think is quite significant. In this genealogy, there are five women listed. Um, You have it in verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Verse 5, you have two women listed. 
Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, that's a woman. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, another woman. Verse 6, David, the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, another woman. And in verse 16, uh, Mary. Now, we're not very familiar with genealogies, but this is interesting because in a Jewish genealogy, women are not normally mentioned. We may not be familiar, but a Jewish reader would have been familiar. And one of the first things that they would notice in Matthew chapter 1 is that Matthew has included women in this genealogy. So there must be something to learn here. I just started looking up these women. Um, We can study a lot of folks in here, and it would be beneficial. But what I want to do today is to just do a little survey of each of these women. We'll at least get to the first four. Uh, we know more about Mary, but but um, if there's time, we'll we'll look at her too. But I think the point will be clear anyway, uh, because as we learn about these women, I believe there's much to learn about Jesus's coming into the world through this family. He could have chosen any family line in history, right? I mean, he's a creator; he's the sovereign of heaven. He could have come any way he wanted, through any people group he wanted. He chose this one. And there's something he's trying to tell us. So let's look at the first one, verse 3. Judah was the father of Perez uh, and Zerah by Tamar. We need to learn about Tamar. Turn to Genesis 38. I'm going to be honest. This is a little racy. And... uh, I'm going to read all of it. So, Starting in verse 6, I'm going to read through verse 30, Genesis 38. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn son, and her name was Tamar. There's Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah my son grows up for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. So Judah's wife has died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friend Hira and the Adelamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance of Anayim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him and he and she had not been given to him in marriage. Remember, the promise was my youngest son, when he grows up, he'll be your husband. So just wait there. And she's realizing, wait, he's grown up and he's not my husband. 15. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge, 
until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adalamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where is the colt prostitute who was at Anaim at the roadside? And they said, No colt prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of the place said, No colt prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She's more righteous than I since I did not give her to my son Sheila, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in the womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez, which means breach. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand. His name was Zerah. All right, you got that? Judah's son Ur was married to Tamar. Ur was wicked, so the Lord ended his life. Uh, According to custom, Ur's brother Onan, it was his responsibility then to take his deceased brother's wife and impregnate her and raise the children. But the children would still be considered his brother's children. Um, And because the brother was the firstborn, the children would then be the heirs to family leadership to all of the riches and the leadership and all of that. So Onan was fine sleeping with his deceased brother's wife, but he didn't want to impregnate her and give her children because he knew then they would be the heirs to the family leadership. He wanted the family leadership, and uh, Onan's refusal to do his duty was wicked in God's sight, so God ended his life as well. Then Judah, Tamar's father-in-law, Tells her to remain a widow until the youngest son grows up. But uh, over time, when the youngest son has grown up and he had not yet been given to her in marriage, Tamar takes matters into her own hands. She heard that the father-in-law Judah is taking a trip. She dresses up like a prostitute, I guess knowing that her father-in-law was the kind of guy that would visit a prostitute. Um, And he did. He unknowingly impregnated his daughter-in-law with twins, Perez, and Zerah. Back to Matthew 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, his daughter-in-law, who dressed up like a cult prostitute to sleep with him. We're trying to learn something about Jesus coming into the world by learning about his family line, and that's, that's Tamar. Who's next? Verse 5 in Matthew 1. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Turn to Joshua 2. Joshua was right after Deuteronomy. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua is leading God's people into the promised land. 
And in order to get there, they have to conquer some enemy territory. One such place is Jericho. That's where we pick up Joshua 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Wowzer. So Tamar was not a prostitute, but she dressed up like one so that her father-in-law would think that she was a prostitute and sleep with her and hopefully get her pregnant, which he did. The family line continues. A few generations later, the family line goes on, this time through an actual cult prostitute. Uh, People would come to worship false gods, and one of the ways that they would do that is they would sleep with these cult prostitutes. That was Rahab's background. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. In Matthew 1, there are five women listed in Jesus' family line. We've only looked at two, and this is what we have so far. Tamar dressed up like a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute. Okay, next. Verse 5. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Now, there's a whole book of the Bible with Ruth's name on it, so why don't we turn there. It's just after Joshua and Judges, um, the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth... A Jewish woman named Naomi goes to Moab with her husband and her two sons because there was a famine in Israel. And while they're there, her two sons marry Moabite women. But while they're there, her husband and her two sons die. And then Naomi um, decides to go back to Israel because she hears that there's plenty of food again. But... When she goes back, she insists that her two daughters-in-law, whose husbands are now deceased, she insists that they stay in Moab so that they will be able to find husbands for themselves and marry again and so on, have a family. Uh, But Ruth, one of the daughter-in-laws, insists, no, I'm going with you. Your God will be my God. I'm going to Israel with you. So we pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Um, Little Hebrew lesson for you. I'm actually taking Hebrew right now, so I learned this recently. But Hebrew authors repeat things in order to add emphasis. Uh, You're familiar with, like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In, in Genesis chapter 1 on into the first few verses of Genesis 2, Moses uh, writes the name for God 35 times. The reason being, he's emphasizing the fact that God is the creator. That's like the main point that he's trying to get through in the opening scene of the Bible. Um, now here in chapter 1 verse 22 of Ruth, this is the first time that Ruth is called Ruth the Moabite, but it's not the last. Five more times throughout this short little book, Ruth is referred to as Ruth the Moabite or uh, the Moabite woman. So we, we see in the genealogy, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And then we go to the book of Ruth and there are many things to learn in the book of Ruth. But one of the things that the author wants us to learn for sure is that Ruth was a Moabite woman. 
So what is the significance of that? Uh, Why don't you turn to Genesis 19, and uh, as you do, I'll read you a passage from Numbers. The Moabites. Ruth the Moabite. Turn to Genesis 19. This is... uh, This is from Numbers 25. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Um, One thing we know about Moab is that it was this neighboring nation to Israel that led... God's people away from God to worship these false gods, uh, these Baals, you know, these false gods in Moab. But we can learn more. Genesis 19 gives us the origin of the Moabites. And again, some of you didn't know this kind of stuff was in the Bible, but uh, I'm going to read verses 30 through 38. Now, Lot went up to Zoar, and this is right after Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, and, and uh, Abraham and Lot and all these folks there get through. And now Lot went up to Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make drink wine. Make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger bore a son called Benami. He's the father of the Ammonites. All right, that's that's Moab. Y'all still with me? There are five women listed in this genealogy in Matthew 1. I mean, it's a little shocking, honestly. We're just trying to get a little survey of the women, you know, a little Bible study, so that we can learn something about Jesus. Why did He come into the world through this family line? Tamar dressed like a prostitute, slept with her father-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite. And we just heard about the Moabites. Next, verse 6, Matthew 1. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now already this sounds a little scandalous. I mean, David had a kid with someone else's wife. Many of you know the story. Uh, It's found in 2 Samuel 11. You don't have to turn there, but I'll remind you, King David is on the roof of his palace, the king of Israel. He looks down. He sees a woman bathing. She's beautiful. He thinks, I'd like to have her. Her name was Bathsheba. She was married to Uriah, Uriah's wife. He saw her bathing. He liked what he saw. So David sent messengers and took her. And the text actually says he took her. So it's not like, we're just seeing if you thought this was a good idea. Like apparently he took her. Um, 
she came and lay with him and got pregnant with Solomon. To make matters far worse, David tried to cover it all up by killing Not Solomon, right? The first baby died. Okay, good point. But she later had Solomon. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, no, that's a good point. Um, to, so, the way that they come together is David has an affair, you know, with the wife of Uriah, and um, the first baby dies when, the, when she originally gets pregnant, but later they have Solomon. So, the point that I'm trying to make is we have these first four people mentioned. Number one... Um, Tamar dressed like a prostitute to sleep with her father-in-law. Two, Rahab was a prostitute. Three, Ruth was a Moabite, that nation of people who led God's people away from him. And, remember how they got started, uh, the fruit of incest, Lot and his daughter. And then, uh, David has an affair with this guy's wife, has the guy killed, eventually Bathsheba becomes his wife, and then they have Solomon. Jesus chose to be born into this family. So I have a question for you. What do you think Jesus is, is trying to tell us about himself by revealing these details to us about his family line? I mean, it's all in there. He obviously wanted us to know. He's not born from perfect people. <clears throat> okay. The Gospels tell us that he came and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. Literally, he pitched his tent with us, and that means being a part of our messiness. Yeah. Though he was perfect, he right. chose to be right alongside us. Anybody else? I, I like what you said. Uh, both of you, but you know, during his ministry, Jesus certainly identifies with these sort of folks. Um, sexually immoral, the outsider. And one of the things that becomes clear in his ministry is he not only became he not only came to save Jews, but he came to save people of every nation, including those pagan nations that uh, worship false gods and who lead his people in worshiping false gods. But even before his ministry, those things are clear in his ministry, even before his ministry and his genealogy, Jesus is revealing to us the kinds of people that he identifies with. He could have chosen any family line, but he chose this one. Not because he wanted to celebrate their sin, but because he came to save sinners. He didn't come for the righteous He came to save sinners. He came to lead sinners in repentance. Um, You know, a few ways that this applies to us. There are things, for some of us, those who have a history of sexual sin that would never talk about certain things uh, to anyone. And, you know, somebody knows about 25%, but there's other things, and you're not telling. And I'm not saying that you should. Uh, there, there are those that that's your past and there are those that even struggle with sexual sin to this day but you need to know that Jesus came into the world through a family that was marked with the same he is glad to identify with you with, with those that are like this he came to save us from our sin he came to heal the wounds 
He loves you right where you are. And He loves us too much to leave us where we are. But not just sexual sin, any sin. There is no sin too great. Jesus came to save sinners. I mean, we're just looking at the five women. If we were to do a little historical background on the others, we already got a little glimpse into David, a murdering adulterer, you know. Um, And related to this, I heard uh, Pastor Matt Chandler say recently something to the effect of if the church is not a safe place for the sexually broken, the gender confused, then we're not doing it right. Uh, Our Lord is a safe place for them. The saving place. Might we reflect Him faithfully to the world? Might the broken know that they are welcome here? And, uh, you know, things are okay today in the culture sexually and, and just sinfully that were couldn't have been imagined 20 years ago. So it is. That's the world that we live in. And, uh, you know, while we can grieve that and should to some degree, it's also an opportunity to image Christ and, uh, and represent Him faithfully to a culture. One thing we can assume is that pursuing a life of sinful pleasure, whatever that looks like, is not going to bring the lasting satisfaction that they long for. It's going to lead to deeper brokenness, right? Confusion. So, we can either do this the whole time, and there's a certain degree to which things need to be established, but our might we be received and seen in the culture as as a hospital for sinful people where it's safe to come no matter what your background, no matter what your present struggle. Um, You know, most of us have family members that are homosexual. Uh, More and more of us will have friends and family members that that come out and and are homosexual. Uh, Some of us have deep personal sinful struggles and just that this is a safe place for sinners because Jesus came to save sinners. What else can we learn? Or what would you add to that? I think in that you get to see like the, I mean these are I guess in that culture, the kind of heritage that you grew up in was everything. I mean, if you're born into a rich family, then you're going to be a rich man, you know, and you get to see kind of the place that people are coming from and then the glory of Christ coming out of that. You get to see he did come to save sinners, but he came out of that place, kind of a combination of mm-hmm. pitched his tent with us and um, did so in the lowest places with the worst of us, you know. Yeah. So there's hope for everyone. That's good. You know, we don't have a ton of time to go into it, uh, but I had more. But Mary was the last woman mentioned, and Mary's from Nazareth. You know, Nazareth was, uh, if you look on Google today, you see there's about sixty to 70,000 people, mostly Arabs, living in Nazareth. But in Mary's day, there were about 500. It was an agricultural town with 500 people. Uh, Kind of like if you took 72 to Corinth, somewhere past Walnut, you took a right and went a few miles, you know, and then there you are, and there's a little town with 500 people, and that's kind of like where Mary's from, 
and that's where Jesus was raised. Which is just interesting. Uh, again, we see he comes to identify with you know those that are at, they weren't in Jerusalem. That was one of the big knocks that people had on him, right? It's like he's not from the city. He wasn't trained under the greatest teachers. Who's this uneducated guy? I mean, they work with their hands out there in Nazareth, you know. But uh, there again, just this Jesus coming and identifying with people that are not. Uh, what you know, the Pharisees were his biggest enemies because they were, they were all about you know the the pomp and circumstance and prestige of all the letters behind your name, and and he didn't have that, and uh, he was a carpenter. But anyway, one other thing I guess is the uh, you think about Ruth is a Moabite. I mean, part of his family line is a Moabite. Of course, the whole incest thing kind of covered the sexual immorality piece. But even just the pagan nation uh, worshiping false gods, leading God's people to worship false gods. I mean, there's a lot of close ties here, right? You hear a lot of cries for, I mean, America and, and the way it used to be and the way it's not anymore. And I'm not sure it ever quite was the way it was thought to be. But the point is, In all of that, we have to remember that Jesus came to save those in pagan nations who worship false gods. And so we can, again, be upset with the way things are going, uh, grieved by it, but don't stop there. I think where we have to land is compassion for lost people. And Jesus came to save people from every nation. And look, every nation at one point was worshiping other gods until God revealed Himself, right? I mean, so the whole, uh, I don't know, just hopefully give us a right perspective on how to view our country in her sin. And a point to that, of, you know, kind of talk about, you know, the, the culture, um, you know, going down and, and going away toward Christ. And I was just looking at right after in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And you think like from... Abraham out herding his sheep, and God comes and goes, Hey, you're going to be my guy. I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to do this great thing. It took 14 generations to get to David, which is like the pinnacle of, you know, of Judah. I mean, like, you know, he's the king, and yeah. the kingdom has come, and David's on the throne, and he's my guy. And then it took, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, it took 14 generations. The so as long as it took to get to the pinnacle it took to get to you're not a country anymore, you're not a nation anymore mm-hmm. you're dispersed, you're in Babylon you're in slavery and then from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations so it took 14 generations to get from the worst place to right. the Savior and so go up, you can go down you can go up and go down Like and God's sovereign through it all yeah. and wants us to get back to serving Him that's a good point, and it even gives us some insight into the way that God works. You know, uh, on in the church that I used to work in down on the coast, the pastors would always say, there's always a death before resurrection. You know, and that's, I mean, it's just the way He works. It's the way He chose to save the world. He had saved His people, and everything looked like He got defeated because He's in a grave. But He's about to come back. And here we are a couple thousand years later and how many millions of people have been saved 
um, and, and turn to Him. And so, you know, sometimes things get darker and God intends for it to be that way because there's going to be a resurrection. There's a death before resurrection. But Anything else? I was just thinking about the way Jesus would talk to the Pharisees versus the way he would talk to known sinners. Mm-hmm. He was much more gentle yeah. with the known sinners than he was with the religious, outwardly perfect ones. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, the known sinners, some of them probably had pretty good arguments for why they were doing what they were doing, you know? I mean, they weren't probably all immediately broken when they saw him or whatever. I don't, I don't know that. I'm just speculating. But the point is, even when there's somebody who's defending their sinful position, whatever it may be, there's just a greater compassion there than those religious people who are you know, binding burdens on people that they can't keep for themselves. And so you're right. There was a greater compassion for those in these deeply sinful lifestyles um, than the uppity religious folks who had it all together. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Lord, uh, we sometimes get things that we're not expecting in Your Word, uh, maybe even that make us a little uncomfortable. But Lord, it's good news to a room full of sinful people that You came to save sinners, that, that You chose to come into the world through a broken, needy, sinful family line and uh, just to show us that You identify with people such as these. Lord, would you minister that to our souls uh, this Christmas that, that you came for us? Uh, no matter our sin, you know it all, past, present, future. No matter where we were, no matter where we are, uh, you came to save us, and we're thankful. We pray in your name. Amen.